This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators and the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, do you ever go to the comments section of a news article? Oh, every once in a while, I'm curious what people have to say, but I've had enough bad experiences there. I don't, who are these people that comment on things? We, you've, you've actually participated? Not much. You know, so a lot of news comment sections, you know, they moved to Facebook, like that you had to log in with Facebook to comment on it. And the idea was that people would be able to see your real contact information and that would make people like be more responsible and have more civil discourse. I don't think it worked. Yeah, it's it's always kind of weird. Whenever you see someone like call someone like a demon rat instead of a Democrat or a Republican, you realize that they don't really care what the other person actually has to say, you know? Yeah, it, that othering of, of people in different political parties, I mean, even if you feel neg- negatively about a different political party, it certainly doesn't help to have any kind of conversation, right? No, it really doesn't. It, it really... Neither one fuels any discussion and like you're just waiting for someone to call the other person Hitler and then the whole thing can just be over, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I participate in a local uh, message board that, you know, it's just kind of about civic issues and, and local happenings and stuff. And a few years ago, I made the decision to switch my like anonymous name, which almost everyone has anonymous names on this message board and put my actual name. It's kind of the same idea as why news organizations moved to Facebook, just to hold myself accountable for however I, I engaged in discussions. And I feel like I'm okay with the things I've written. It's a reminder of to me kind of always that we should be the people online that we want to be in, in you know, person, in IRL, as we say, with in internet culture. But, you know, some nice. people are also not nice in person. <laughs> so then the other thing is, like, if this is what's being modeled... Or if this is what students see, how can we make sure that they know that there is actually another way? Right. Well, maybe we could do that in social studies classrooms. Is that a doable idea? I mean, you know, we can definitely try. And hopefully we have people on today who are going to talk to us a little bit more about this. Absolutely. And so today we would like to welcome into the podcast Molly Andalina and Hillary Conklin. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And it's great for you to be here. Now, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourselves and your background in education, maybe the origin story of how the two of you met too? Sure. So this is Molly, and I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., sort of the heart of politics for local news, national political news. So I always had a little bit of a political bug. And I'm a political scientist, and I study how young people become political. And there are many pathways to becoming an engaged political adult, but one of them, of course, is at school and through civic education. And so that's where Hillary and I connect. 
This is Hillary. I am a former middle school social studies teacher, and I have always had an interest in really just listening to students. And I think one of the things I found as a teacher, a classroom teacher, was that when you do really listen carefully to young people, you start to realize that they have really profound insights about the world and really important ideas to share. And so I think that connects to what Molly and I have started doing, which is looking at curricula together where students are engaged in a form of action civics or civic education, but the, the young people's voices are really in the spotlight. And so it gives both young people and the adults around them the opportunity to really listen deeply to them. So... I love that your project is interdisciplinary in the sense you have someone from the political science spectrum and then somebody who's in social studies education, although of course there's a lot of overlap there. So how did you two get together to work on a project like this? Because it seems like we need more people working on projects like this. Well, we got connected through Diana Hess when she was at the Spencer Foundation. And Diana and I had gotten to know each other through the action civics programs that they were running there. And we had some common interests. And then Hillary had worked with Diana when she was a graduate student at the University of Madison. And she knew that we had similar shared interests and we were at the same university. And so she connected us across colleges at the same university. And we decided that we would look at this particular curriculum called Project Soapbox, and, and so it began. The rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how we go have to go to some other place to meet people on our own campus? It happens to me all the time. <laughs> yes, we probably would still never have known each other if it hadn't been for Diana, the matchmaker. <laughs> well, Diana has, Hess has done a lot of incredible work, and we did have her briefly on our NCSS recap episode, and we're actually recording this shortly after NCSS 2018 just ended, but she was on our 2017 episode. So the two of you have published an article in Theory and Research in Social Education. It's in Volume 46, Issue 3, and the article is titled, Speaking with Confidence and Listening with Empathy, The Impact of Project Soapbox on High School Students. So first, congratulations on your publication. Thank you. Thanks. So can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what this study and the article is about? Sure. Well, I think just to give kind of the, the big takeaway from our research, it goes back in some ways to what I was talking about in terms of listening to young people. And I think we came away from this research with the, with the big idea that when students have the opportunity to listen to each other and actually learn deeply about each other's experiences, there can be a really important impact on students' empathy and their feelings of connection to one another. And we argue that, that those combined outcomes are really important for our democracy. And that speaks to the introduction that the two of you gave at the beginning. So maybe we can tell you a little bit more about Project Soapbox, which is the curriculum that we studied. I'm a big fan of soapboxes, and I'd love to hear more about a project with them. <laughs> So Project Soapbox is a curriculum designed by NICPA Challenge, which is a local to Chicago nonprofit, nonpartisan group that provides action civics curriculum 
to Chicago public schools and now to many cities all throughout the country. And this is a really unique curriculum. It lasts about one to two weeks and it can be done in school or out of school. And it focuses on giving speeches, clearly, Project Soapbox. So students learn about how to give a speech. They learn the elements of speech giving. But what they do is they pick an issue that's important to them. They research the issue. They work on writing their speeches. And then they give their speeches to their classroom and usually to some outside community members who will come as judges. And then the best speakers from the classroom often participate in a school-wide Project Soapbox competition. And then the best students from there, not the best, but the ones who get the highest scores. Sometimes those are the same, not always, depends on who judges, who's the best. But the top vote-getters end up in a citywide competition. And there are 10 um, finalists in that. So it's a really short curriculum, but it can be quite powerful. And it's, it's noteworthy to say that, particularly among the students that we were looking at, the topics that they talk about are really personal issues that matter a lot to them and their communities. And so in the case that we studied, the students that we worked with, the topics included the impact of gun violence, domestic violence, bullying, suicide, depression. So really tough topics, but topics that students cared deeply about and had often a lot of personal connection to. And what we found was so interesting is that we did pre and post surveys and we collected a lot of different kind of data. And we learned that students made gains in their rhetorical skills. And we also found that students were more likely to have a sense of agency and more likely to say that they were going to be active after the curriculum than before the curriculum, active in politics after the curriculum rather than before the curriculum. But this finding that students were affected by listening to each other was a real surprise to us. So we expected there to be some positive results in terms of speaking, but we never expected that there would be such an impact from just listening to each other. Yeah, and so it was just really striking to us that in part because the way the curriculum is structured so that students all have to give a speech and then all have to listen to one another. It was by virtue of listening to each other's speeches that it there was this real impact on students' empathy and their sense of connection to one another. And we found that to be really powerful. And I mean, I think just to, to reinforce what Molly said, that Here's a curriculum that seemingly is designed to teach speaking, but that also had a really profound impact in terms of listening. Now, is that something that you stumbled into, or is that something that you're also looking for in your IMPO surveys? We stumbled into it. In fact, if we had known about it ahead of time, if we had expected it ahead of time, we probably would have designed our research instruments to capture it more carefully. We would have known what to look for. It was a real surprise to us. Now, when we talked to the people at MICVA about it, they were not surprised by that because they had seen it. They had witnessed it over and over in classroom after classroom and in citywide competitions. But to us, we were focused. This was a curriculum on, you know, getting students engaged in issues and learning how to do speeches. And they had 
talked, they watched bad speeches, they watched good speeches. So we were really focused much more on the academic skills of speech giving than on what can happen when you simply listen to another person talk about what's important to them. And actually another interesting piece, the one thing that we did intend to do, and we actually had some aspects of our study design that that incorporated this, we were thinking about common core speaking and listening skills. And so common core has things like something to the effect of can students identify a, a speaker's point of view. And there are a few things that we now kind of think of as academic listening skills. And so we actually had incorporated that into our study design to see if students made any improvements in that as a result of the curriculum. But what we started realizing was that that was really a, a side note in a sense to this more empathic listening that seemed to be really strongly cultivated by the curriculum. Did you find that this is similar to other related studies? Is there a line of literature that's kind of shown that having such speaking opportunities actually benefits everyone? Or is this kind of a, a new finding for the field? Well, I think it's a little of both. You know, we alluded to Diana Hess's work earlier and Paula McAvoy, as well as others, have done wonderful work on classroom deliberation and discussion. And I think some of that work has highlighted how when students have the opportunity to hear other perspectives and listen to other views, that it really helps them value other perspectives and things like that. And so I think in that sense, there, there has been some attention to listening. Walter Parker has also done some nice work, again, on looking at the, the important role of listening in relation to classroom discussion. I think where our work starts to, to look at something a little bit different is that part of what is unique about Project Soapbox is that it's not an exchange of information as you would find in discussion or deliberation. And so in Soapbox, students are give one another their full attention for the two odd minutes that a, a student is providing a speech. And so it means that there's an attention to one another's ideas that is different, we think, than what happens when you're in a in the context of a discussion where you might be listening to somebody on the one hand, but also formulating your own perspective and formulating your response to what that person is saying. What we found with Project Soapbox is it really seems to be listening for its own sake. And that is what we think is a little bit different. I feel like this echoes, I think it was my third grade teacher who said, Michael M., you have two ears and one mouth. You should speak more. No, speak less. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, actually, it's interesting because in one of the classrooms we observed, there was a teacher who not only used that quote, but had that a poster of that quote on her wall. So it perhaps is symbolic. Wow. I didn't realize that my third grade teacher is that popular. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, in my, I just got out of teaching my, well, first thing I'll say is that I did see Walter Parker at 
the NCSS conference, and he does seem like an excellent listener. I went up and said hi to him, and I feel like he was hanging on my every word, even though it was only like <laughs> two sentences. But uh, I was just in my class, and one of the things my students do is they actually lead discussions of our readings and things we look at prior to class, and I model it at the beginning of the semester. And one of our things we've identified as like a practice that we think really helps that is to always find a way to remind ourselves of our class norms that we developed at the beginning of the semester. And so today my student, my our teacher candidate, who's really brilliant, said, you know, look at the norms that we developed early in the semester and think which one is most important for you to work on today. And so the one I chose is to respond and not react, which I think is always a good way to think about how we actually engage in conversations around what people say and don't try to think ahead towards our answers on any topic, which I think in this instance, you know, the students aren't even going to get to response. So you just have to spend time with the things other people are saying and, and give it time. So it kind of makes sense that that would help them, you know, not only speak with confidence, but listening with empathy. <laughs> well, and it gets back to how you started off in talking about message boards, because often people are not reading the whole line of message boards and then thinking about how they will respond. They're responding quickly. They're responding to the last one. They're responding maybe just to the article and not reading any of the other comments. And we do spend so much more time forming and projecting our opinions than listening to one another. And we think that we would all be well served to listen more. Wow. What a good message. Yeah, I like it. What do you want teachers and educators to take away from your article and your research? Well, I think there are a few different things. Uh, On the one hand, I think Molly alluded to the fact that Project Soapbox, while it was started here in Chicago, it actually is a curriculum that's now available to teachers across the country in the United States. And so it's really taking root across the country And so anybody who's interested, we think it's really a powerful curriculum that has important impacts. And so we would encourage people to go to the MICVA Challenge website and access the curriculum there. So I think that's one takeaway is the curriculum has important impacts. I think another, another few pieces that really were striking to us that we found were You know, some of the things that made the curriculum powerful were things like the fact that students got to choose a community issue that mattered to them. And particularly in this era of common core standards and things of that nature, students have fewer and fewer opportunities to choose what they're learning about. And we found that that choice was so powerful in motivating them to do this work. And they therefore learned really important things because they were able to choose something that mattered to them and therefore were motivated to engage in the hard work that that was involved. So I think giving students more opportunities to choose is a big takeaway for us. That's great. I went to a a great workshop at NCSS and it was about a teacher. Well, it was about service learning in general. And one teacher in Chicago, his students in AP Gov, they're freshmen. They want to make a change. They want to make a statement about whatever they're passionate about. And so they created a postcard campaign about their passion. So they, they, 
whittled it down to like a, a couple, like a slogan. They created art for the front. They send the postcards to elected officials to get their message out. And they're all different because they're all focused on whatever they're passionate about. But it was teaching, you know, how government works now. You can have agency in the government and make your voice heard. And so that kind of reminded me of this particular program a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The, another thing that we found that was really impactful was that a lot of teachers had spent some time creating community in the classroom before this started. So when kids are talking about violence in their communities, when they're talking about domestic violence, when they're talking about suicide, I mean, really vulnerable topics, and they're going to have to get up and speak in front of each other. Some teachers had really spent a lot of time building a sense of community in their classroom before Project Soapbox began. I think the Project Soapbox can also build community in the classroom, but so one of the lessons to take away from that is a lot can happen that's much more impactful for the students, both personally, for their impact on the political world and for their learning if there is time and attention given to building community in the classroom at the beginning of the year. It's almost as if all the things you have said, choice, you know, space, you know, opportunities, all kind of clash with the standards-based <laughs> cram forward, you know, curriculum. We're going to cover everything, but we're going to do it all in like, you know, uh, not enough time doesn't really seem like the best educational model we should be using. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing is we know educational theory that, in fact, things like choice and building classroom community, that these are really essential components of good teaching and therefore learning. And it is a shame that some of our modern reforms don't seem to reflect what we know about those best practices. Molly Andalina and Hillary Conklin, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Our pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. It has. Where can our listeners find you or your work online? Well, I think there are a few places. So you alluded to our article that was published in Theory and Research in Social Education and for people who have access to that journal, that is one spot. We also published uh, an op-ed a few years ago in the Washington Post that listeners could access, and that in some ways gives kind of a very abbreviated version of many of the things that we've talked about. A lot of our work is also available on ResearchGate. I know that a lot of it's been uploaded there, and if it's not, we can be contacted through ResearchGate and provide it to anybody who is interested. Listeners could certainly email us, and we're happy to share things that they're interested in. And we'll make sure to put the link to Project Soapbox on our show notes, as well as all of these things you've just mentioned. That would be great. Thanks. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today, and we certainly do hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces. Well, thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you for coming. <laughs> We're all about sharing the learning of the Visions of Education podcast. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to chat, and really, you do, tweet us at Visions of Ed, or hit us up on Facebook. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Actually, not Google Play. We need to get there. 
and anywhere you want us to be. If you write us a five-star review, then we'll read it on the air. And please do so, because it helps people find this podcast. That's how Apple algorithms work. So thank you. And it makes us feel good. Yeah, and it makes us feel good. And you can find me on Twitter at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off.